so many messages of people being like, oh my God, finally. Like, I found my community, I found my people. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. And welcome to episode 30 of the Distance Hiker podcast. I'm your host, Matthew. And if you're tuning in to this show for the first time, then welcome. You are in the right space for all things long distance hiking. Before I jump in and introduce today's guest, I wanted to remind you that the competition, which I announced on the last episode in partnership with Cicerone Press, is still going and ends on the 18th of December at midnight. To enter the competition, you just need to go to distancehiker.com forward slash Cicerone and click the link in the show notes. Once you've done that, you will be taken to a page on Cicerone's website and you just need to enter your email address. The prize up for grabs is a copy of Scottish Wild Country Backpacking, which was the centre of the discussion in last week's episode with two of the authors, Steph and David. So if you want to enter, you know where to go and what to do. And there's three prizes up for grabs. So good luck. Right on to today's episode. I have Steph Weatherall on the show, who is one of the founders of Everybody Outdoors. You may have seen Everybody Outdoors on Instagram. They have been quite prominent in the last year or so. Everybody Outdoors exists to fight for clothing, gear and better representation of the plus size community and plus size bodies within our outdoor industry, within our outdoor community, within our outdoor movement, within the outdoors. I am such a firm believer of using podcasting and media as a voice of change and so is Steph and it was such an opportunity to collaborate with Steph and get this show out there. And I really, really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. In this show, we learn about Steph and her journey into becoming a lover of the outdoors and her experience of hiking. It also, we also, sorry, go into what led her to launching Everybody Outdoors. We also learn about the challenges and the victories that she's faced when working to make the outdoor movement more inclusive and not just such a one size fits all space. I am super excited to share this episode with you. Steph was a fantastic guest. And if you enjoy the show with Steph, a little call to action is just to like and subscribe or do whatever you're meant to do on most of the platforms. Rate us, subscribe, you know what to do. Um, And share the show on Instagram and on social media with anybody who you think would love it. So here is episode 30 with Steph from everybody outdoors. Enjoy the show. I'm changing it up slightly because I usually go, oh, um, what was the earliest point in your life where, you know, where did you find the outdoors when you were younger and all of that? And I think, I think the answer that I repeatedly get is yes, I found it when I was a child and my parents used to take me to the hills and blah, blah, blah. I'm guessing it's similar to you um no, no? Not really. oh even better okay let's go there because everybody has exactly the same answer and i i've stopped answering asking it because of that reason but if you haven't then um i guess my question to you is two questions where were you in life when you found the outdoors and what was your childhood experience of the outdoors if it wasn't obviously being exposed to it like a lot of outdoorsy people were so I guess I, like, I had a gently outdoorsy child. Like we we would go for mm. strolls. You know, we had a dog and we would walk yeah. the dog through some fields. That was kind of my experience. Mm. But like I grew up on the Wirral. It's not wild. It, you know, we never went to the hills. We never climbed mountains. My parents didn't take us kind of what I would consider really hiking. You know, we, we went mm. on dog walks. Um, yeah. And uh it wasn't until I was in I I lived in Canada for two and a half years like just after I turned 30 and it was 
ironically, about two months before I left, that I kind of really found hiking, I guess, and found had that okay. moment of like falling in mm-hmm. love with it. Um, I think I, I've always been uh, kind of larger. So, you know, like I'm a size 20 now and I was a bit larger when I was uh, kind of at university and my weight has kind of fluctuated around the same level. And I think I'd always kind of thought the outdoors wasn't really for me. Like I could go, I, I'm a dog, I, you know, I could go for a dog walk or whatever, but hiking wasn't wasn't something my body could do. And um, when I was living in Canada, my friend Rosemary was incredibly supportive and basically talked me into going um, for this hike uh, up in the Valhalla Mountains to a place called Gwillem Lakes, which was like an overnight trip. Um, at quite a lot of elevation, and like you had to carry, we had to carry tent and food and everything up there. Um, and she'd done the hike before with her partner, and I think she'd her kind of partner had kind of brought her into outdoors things, and she kind of did a similar thing for me. You know, she knew my ability, she knew my fitness levels. Like I was farming at the time, I was actually quite fit, even though I was larger. Mm-hmm. And um, she talked me into going on this hike, and it just blew my mind. You know, I've got a photo of me with like my arms in the air, like right up at the top, just surrounded by mountains on all sides. And it was something I genuinely didn't think I could do. And like, Mm. not only could I do it, like, I just loved it. Um, Mm. And it changed my whole perception of what I could do and what my body could do. And when I moved back to the UK... Um, my sister subscribed to Country Walking magazine, so she cut all the Southwest walks out for me. Um, and I just took myself off at the weekend. That's what I'd do. I'd take myself off and I'd do one of these walks on my own as I kind of got my confidence and skill levels up. So I started kind of doing five mile walks and then it kind of went up to six, seven, mm-hmm. eight mile walks. And um, I just, I think it, it just became like this new pattern. And the more I did it, the more I loved it and the more I got out of it, especially like walking on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And what what was it you loved about walking? What was the draw of it for you at the time? And probably even now? I think, like, I, I love walking on my own because of the headspace I get. Like, I've not found anything mm. else that compares. Like, I, you know, I've, I've tried, uh, like, mindfulness apps and meditation and various different things. And mm. actually... I hear you. <laughs> I, I just find going for a walk on my own mm. just, like, this ultimate tonic. Like, I'm... I guess I'm, I'm quite an anxious person in life and I also do a job that involves a lot of like mental juggling of different things. Like there's a lot going on that I have to kind of manage and control and think about. And like hiking for me is the perfect antidote, partly the, the physical exercise and the kind of rhythm of it, I guess, but also just being somewhere really beautiful. Um, mm. And I just, I love the places it takes me to. Like it's taken me to so many places and parts of the country that I would never have otherwise gone to because I've gone for a walk. Yeah. Um, so um, where has it taken you then? Where's where's sort of your favourite destinations? I know you said you've uh, trekked in Norway. I heard yeah. that. Um, kind of, can you yeah expand on a few of the areas that you've gone with hiking? I mean, Norway was definitely a highlight. Um, hmm. I did two weeks uh, down St Olaf's Way, which is a uh, kind of pilgrimage route there. Um, which was really amazing, like on my own, kind of while camping for a good chunk of it. Uh, I've done St. Mm. Cuthbert's Way in uh, Northumberland, which is an area I'd never been to before. Really beautiful walk. Um, Mm. uh, I've done a lot around South Wales, um, mid Wales. I I kind of tend to go to like often the less walked parts. Like I've only just gone to Snowdonia for the Mm. first time in the last couple of years, but I've done a lot. Um, like I know the Black Mountains, like the back of my hand, uh, that's the place I go to all the time. And I actually drew all the paths I'd walked on the OS map and it's just like, it's just green lines everywhere. Um, what draws you to the less warped parts then? I think just the quietness, like the ability to go out and walk for a day and see nobody or see one or two people. Like I love walking in the winter, like I can go out on the Black Mountains in the winter and not see anybody all day. Um, Mm. Whereas you go somewhere that might be a bit better walk, like the Lake District, and there's just there's people everywhere, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I really like the space I get, and I like. Uh, I, I think maybe it's just like the fact I like kind of almost like the underdogs. I like the the parts that are the kind of overlooked and discovering those places and getting to know those places. Like I'm not. I mean, I do love going up mountains, but I'm not 
I'm not one of those people who wants to kind of go the well-trodden path and like bag the peaks and that kind of stuff. I'd rather mm. find an interesting route or find that gem that like nobody yeah. knows about. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I find that the lakes and the peak district and all the places that you see on the magazines being busy is in some ways obviously damaging for those environments, but a blessing for everybody else like me, because I'm the same, I'd rather go somewhere quieter. Um, because it does leave then a, actually quite significant amounts of our rural areas, yeah. un, not untouched, of course, but quiet yeah. for people like yourself and me, where I'm, I sort of go outside just to get away from people. Um, so there is definitely an, a kind of something nice about that. Um, kind of what other gems as such have you found? We've got kind of places like the Black Mountains, which is obviously uh, along the Offa's Dyke path. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any kind of places? Um, I'm assuming you avoid Cornwall then, because that's yes. a busy <laughs> hotspot of um, I love the, quant- <laughs> the UK. Any other kind of nice kind of secret places or national parks that you've been to which are pretty quiet yeah i love the quantux uh you know it's not mm. too far from where's Bristol. the quantux i should know this it's but... kind of just above exmoor it's kind of where oh yeah where england kind of kicks out sideways like bridgewater kind of mm. way um i really love it it's really quiet it's got some really interesting routes it's got an amazing drove road across the top of it like, it's basically one ridge of hills and it's got some beautiful yeah. drove road across the top um but that was the first long distance path i did it at the Coleridge way which starts in the quantux and goes across exmoor and um mm. i didn't see anybody for two days at all oh, um <laughs> and then like the i think the fourth day i kind of went into towards Lynmouth, and the last like little bit got a bit busier but i didn't come across anybody else walking that route um mm. and i just kind of loved that you know i loved walking a path that um kind of felt like it was discovering something new and and during lockdown I walked uh, my partner and I walked a, the community forest path which is a long distance route that goes around Bristol and I've lived here for like 17 mm. years and I discovered new parts of kind of Bristol and the surrounding area that I'd never been to before and I mm. kind of loved that ability for walking it's like oh I wonder where this path goes and seeing things from a completely different perspective totally um and I got a question as well about your broader experience of walking so when you started or were introduced to walking back in Canada mm-hmm. to where you are now how long did it take you to gain the confidence to start sort of doing trips on your own but also camping out on your own as well so it was I think it was two years from when I started hiking that I did my first kind of multi-day walk like big trip I, mm-hmm. I did a four-day walk on my own um, up yeah. until then, I, I'd kind of done day walks um, and a couple, like some back-to-back day walks, and I started walking with other people as well. But um, I didn't go wild camping for the first time on my own or with anybody else until about a year after that. My friend Chris took me camping. I didn't have any of the gear or any of the kits. So it was all borrowed mm. stuff. Um, okay. And I, <laughs> then I, I decided I'd do my first ever wild camping trip on my own. And like a crazy person, I went to the Isle of Rum. Um, so I, <laughs> I went on a trip up to Egg and Rum and decided to go yeah. while camping on my own for two nights on Rum on like a remote, mm. barely inhabited island with no phone reception. Um, and again, I just, I really loved it. And I think I'm, I'm really lucky to have had, uh, like a few friends who've been really supportive and let me care and kind of been really non-judgmental and provided me with like the information. Cause I didn't grow up camping. Like I didn't grow up in a family that went camping. Um, I didn't. Mm. You know, as a kid, we we never camped. And so, like, learning about wild camping and how to do that kind of came to me quite, I guess, quite late in life. And sure. even, like, when I did, when I prepped for a trip to Norway, I've got a friend who'd done that same hike. And it was quite a big, it was quite a big leap for me to go from what I'd done in the UK to, like, two weeks in Norway um, mm. on my own. And actually just having a friend who shared so much knowledge and info and was always at the end of the email to kind of answer my questions. Like I wouldn't, there was no way I'd be able to do it without that. So tell me a bit about Norway, because I'm interested in that particular trip. Um, So I don't know Norway that well. So I'm kind of asking for, I guess, somebody who might, and I'm going to Google (laughs) this afterwards. (laughs) Um, But where, yeah, where did you go? Um, Kind of how far was it part of an organised kind of 
tour or was it just completely self-sufficient you just went off into the Norwegian wilderness for two weeks how did that work so there's a four-week trail um it's roughly four weeks that kind of goes Hmm. um I can't remember where it starts but it goes up to Trondheim in the north it's called St Olaf's Way it's the kind of obscure Norwegian pilgrimage route um like it's absolutely nothing like the Camino there's barely anybody on it um but um uh I decided to do it because I wanted to get to Norway but I also didn't want to deal with all like navigation on top of all of the other challenges of like my first big kind of trip abroad on my own um so I started in Lillehammer and kind of basically walked north for two weeks and the first week was uh along a valley kind of basically going up and down the side of this valley persistently for two weeks for a week and then the second time second week was kind of over some mountains um I can't remember exactly where I finished I think I walked a hundred and 62 miles or something um nice and i kind of i I guess i wild camped for about two thirds of it you know i kind of Mm. yeah i stayed in a few mountain huts and i stayed in a few pilgrim hostels as well yeah um okay and you say um you chose it because of the, you didn't have to navigate. Was it very well waymarked route there? Yeah, it was really well. I was actually really impressed. It was really well way, waymarked. And uh, even through the mountains, mm-hmm. they would just kind of splash a bit of red paint on rocks or whatever. So ah, um, okay. the second week was a bit busy, but the first week I barely saw anybody, partly because most people were yeah. staying in accommodation. So I was like, well, camping on the top of the hills and they were staying in the accommodation on the bottom. And so we barely overlapped. Sure. But it, um, yeah. I think it was that was the moment at which I realised that I guess when I started getting into hiking, it's like clothing and kit didn't seem that important. I just wore a pair of leggings, a top, um, you know, like a fleece. And then yeah. that was the trip. I look back now on it and it's like, so I did two weeks in Norway on my own, carrying everything, wearing Marks and Spencer's tops, Tesco's leggings, yeah. men's a man's waterproof that didn't fit me and wasn't particularly waterproof. And like, I think, I, I think I'd managed to get a down jacket from like a £35 down jacket from Go Outdoors. Um, like yeah. that was, I think it was that. That's the point at which I started to realise that, like, clothing and kit was becoming a problem for what I was doing. Yeah. So prior to that, had you just sort of accepted that the 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 lack of adequate clothing and kit that it is what it was essentially it was what it was. Had you kind of just accepted that, and was it then through that trip that you know you you developed all this outdoor experience, you started to do things where people long ago would have probably gone and bought a Gore-Tex jacket, but you couldn't do that. Was it at, during that trip where you went, well, hang on, why can't I have access to this good quality clothing? Yeah. Was that when the kind of frustration was born or was it? Yeah, totally. Kind of I think up until that before? point, I'd managed to kind of make do. And I guess my whole life with clothing, you know, I've kind of had mm. to make do. And it's only in the last couple of years that even in the normal clothes I wear that I can get the stuff I like. So I'm, I was kind of used to that and I think I just accepted it. And then um, like meeting other people on that trip and seeing like how small their bags were. <laughs> and um, mm. I think at a similar time as well, like the American um, movement Unlikely Hikers was starting to kind of gain traction. Yeah. I think I came across them on Instagram and I was like, oh, like, there's people mm. kind of campaigning for change. Maybe I, maybe we don't have to accept this. You know, I think, I, I think yeah. it, I started kind of seeing the injustice in it, I guess, as opposed to just yeah. accepting it and shutting up about okay. it. And what, so what kit did, were you able to access at the time? And, and sorry, just to give a bit of a timescale as well, because I think oh, things have yeah, this is... slowly but positively, but not enough, so this was, <laughs> developed forward. This was, how, how long ago this was this? This was 2019, the summer So of not that long ago so, at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had, okay. at that point... I had my go outdoors down jacket. I couldn't get any trousers yeah. that fitted me. Um, mm. I think I might. I had got a mountain warehouse merino base layer, which I was sleeping in at okay. night, and I had yeah. a North Face men's waterproof kind of shell jacket mm. um, that I called my Michelin Man jacket because it was like so big around, like it was. It's bigger around the shoulders <laughs> yeah, and chest than it course. is around the hips, so it was just huge yeah. on me. So it just hung off you yeah. where, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, okay. Yeah, and I own a pair of waterproof trousers as well that was the same. Um, hmm. And yeah, that's that's what I had. And I was walking in mostly in like Marks and Spencer's 
just cotton tops and um shirts and then at some supermarket like sports leggings Hmm. um and the name sorry the name of the organization that you saw in the states that was sort of uh unlikely hikers so it started by this woman called jenny brusso over there who okay i guess got really annoyed and decided to do something yeah so how i mean how did you feel when you saw that there was in america this movement of you know, women trying to advocate for getting the right clothing. I mean, pretty... Given that that had never probably been on your radar before. Pretty emotional, um, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, partly seeing the posts and seeing people whose bodies look like me doing that stuff and, like, some acknowledgement. Um, I think, you know, up until then, I'd never come across anybody else who looked like me in the outdoors um like I, I you know I wasn't particularly following like outdoorsy people on social media at that point but I didn't you know I didn't know how to find people and I can't even remember how I stumbled across it I think probably somebody sent it to me and it was just like just the inspiration of like people are somebody's out there doing this trying to change it um but I think it still felt very remote you know it felt like this is in America this is really amazing I, I wish there was something like it here um but just not finding it and not finding the people um yeah yeah so after having that realization that the kit wasn't adequate but then seeing that there was a way to have a voice collectively what happened between that point and starting everybody outdoors um, I started moaning on social media about it, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. That's really that's a really good answer. I'm glad, glad you actually said that. So out of what you're you moaning on social media um, and having your own voice on social media, were you able to, even with that alone and without everybody outdoors, kind of enact any change? Did any brands listen to you? Because I'm assuming you message brands to say, you know, why are you not or when are you going to mm. produce some kit that fits me? What was kind of the what was the response to you having your individual voice in this um, in this battle essentially? I'd say a, a resounding silence. Um, okay. You know what I found was that uh, I get a lot of individual comments from people, um, yeah. and you know people not being aware it was an issue, and a couple of people were kind mm. of like also saying that they also in a good way it challenged their preconceptions about what plus size people could do. But yeah, I I contacted a few brands and basically heard nothing um, back. Mm. I found I couldn't get through to the right person. You know, you're dealing with the person who's answering the info at email address and there's just not much traction from an individual person. Okay. But I guess... So I guess then... I was going to say, I guess what did happen from that is that people started to connect me with other people who were doing were having like similar experiences so um I think Rebecca had put up a post about it and somebody tagged me in it um because I I've been <laughs> I think amongst my friends I've been moaning about this for a while and I was like oh, I should probably do something about this and I think somebody had come across Rebecca's post and was like Steph I think you need to talk to this person and uh I think actually I came across Emily so Emily was working had done some work with Findra um uh, who make merinos yeah. in Scotland. And I think mm. I, I was following Findra and I think I saw Emily's post and was like, oh my God, I think I need to speak to this person. Um, Cumbie had uh, been in a Paramo ad, um, but somebody who I knew through, who's a mountain leader, had knew Cumbie through, I think through Black Girls Hiking. I was like, oh, you should speak to Cumbie. She's great. Uh, so it's like it, suddenly this like little group of people kind of came together and... Uh, sure. I I think the initial thing that happened was I set up a Facebook group because I realised that I I had started to find little bits of kit. It's like, oh, look, mm. I found this trouser company that fits me really well. And, oh, um, I've discovered this down jacket goes up to a size 22 and uh, this and that and the other. And so I created a Facebook group um, so that there was somewhere for people to kind of share that information. Mm. And mm. I guess that was the first the first step into doing something um kind of positive to try to do to to yeah. bring people together and change something but of course you don't want to be just finding 
bits of kit from the corner of the web no. on the off chance that a brand has actually decided to take stock of that item. Yep. You want to have the option to go onto a Cotswold Outdoor or any other brand website and go and click on the sizes and see that there is a, a wider, broader range of sizes. So obviously that's um, that that mission that you've got, um, which then opens up the outdoors to a, a wider range of body types, extended to you starting everybody outdoors. So what was the the point and, and really how did everybody outdoors kind of t- switch on essentially? Um, how did it launch? Where Where's that kind of short story? I think we... Uh, I had a chat with Cumbie, who was the first person I chatted to um, in the group. And, yeah. you know, I think we just had an initial kind of conversation and it was like, we should probably do something about this. And she was like, yeah. And then I kind of brought in Zara and Emily and Rebecca, who I kind of had interactions with about this. And we just had a meeting and it was like, let's do something about this. You know, we want to be actively working with brands to improve what they're doing. And mm. um, from quite... I think from one conversation, uh, Sarah was the one who came up with a name, which had been like, like kind of holding me back for quite a long time. I couldn't find the right name for it. It's a great name. Yeah. Really good name. <laughs> Sarah's very proud of herself for having come up with that. Um, uh, and we just decided to set up an Instagram page. And it was like we had, we were still kind of working through at that point what we were trying to do. We had, I think I'd... I'd fleshed out our like what I would say I was our manifesto which is our kind of six asks and you know we were starting to kind of go into a bit more detail and I was like you know what I'm just going to set up the Instagram page I bought the domain set up an Instagram page and it was like go and it went insane uh like I think we hit a thousand followers in 24 hours and on on day one our first brand got in touch which was Alpkit to say they wanted to Mm. work with us and it was just like yeah you know when you have an idea and you think there might be a demand for it and then you're like oh yeah no the- there is <laughs> um, <laughs> that's validation yeah um, it was response. but it was kind Amazing. of funny because it was suddenly like oh crikey like we've got there's loads of stuff that we haven't sorted out yet that we should probably like sort mm. out like I think I had a bit of a comms plan like I work in comms and media so I think I had like a social media plan for the first month um yeah but I think it I think we thought it would take a while to build and it was just yeah it just happened very it just quickly. happened very quickly. So, Alpkit was the first brand to reach out. What um, essentially? What were they wanting to help with then? How did they want to be involved? So they were in the process of kind of set, of expanding up to a size twenty, um, and their kind of product, mm. uh, their kind of clothing development lead, Ronnie's been quite uh, influential in um, expanding their sizing in quite like yeah. I mean, a size 20 isn't inclusive, but if you consider where Alpkit was maybe three years ago, they've come quite a long way quite quickly. Um, and she was really keen that uh, what we what they created actually fitted plus size bodies. And it wasn't just, you know, most, most clothing is graded up from a size 8. And by the time you get to a size 20, bodies change in shape. And also, not everything proportionally changes. So a classic thing with plus size outdoors clothing is you get really baggy ankles and baggy like arms because people just mm. keep adding inches everywhere oh, I see. um whereas yeah. actually proportionally you're more likely to have a larger bust to hip ratio so what you yeah. need is more around your hips and um so ronnie um was interested in chatting to us about our experiences of what didn't work so they could get it right um and through that me and cumby went and uh, did a size fitting with like a clothes fitting of their samples with them as well to kind of really check mm. on our bodies as to how things fitted and what worked and what didn't work and that those samples did they turn into products that yep. did work so i mean yeah. not everything in Alpkit fits me like there's their size 20 stuff is yeah. still coming out and not everything fits me but a good chunk of it does um mm. so it's amazing to see, like, I've got a pair of the waterproof trousers and one of the big problems that trousers have is often they don't have a high enough rise. The waterproof trousers are a great fit on me. Um, some of the other stuff is probably a bit more of a work in progress and so I'm kind of in constant hmm. conversation with Ronnie about the stuff I've tried, what works, what doesn't work, um, what needs more of a rise on it, what, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, hmm. But I've also been working with them on some of their kit as well. It's like, rucksacks 
you know, how yeah. do their rucksacks fit? How do their sleeping bags fit? So, Ganu, <coughs> I'm less aware of rucksacks and sleeping bags. So what are the challenges then that you have with both both rucksacks and sleeping bags? So a rucksack, I mean, the most common thing is that the hip strap, it might, for me, I'm a size 20, so a good chunk of them do up, but most of them, hmm. the kind of the padded part that's supposed to kind of like hug and grip your hips doesn't come around fast enough, yeah. like far enough. So okay. So you haven't got that support. I don't have that so support. Have. It doesn't kind of hold yeah. the weight properly. And then you end up with like yeah. a thin strap digging right into like the squidgy part oh, of my see. stomach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the support is meant to sit on your hips, but... And so it digs into my it belly. Can't get, it digs into, yeah, your belly. Yeah, so it sits more at your back and then the rest of the strap comes around your belly and the support hits, sits on the, the thin strap sits on the front of your hips and onto your belly yeah. and that's where it's held. And yeah, okay, I can see that. Also... The padding on straps often stops kind of too high up. So you might end up with a buckle digging into you or just like the hard webbing bit, not the kind of the padded bit. Like I, so I've just got a Gregory Pax rucksack to test out and they do, they've started doing a plus size range, which they developed in the States. And I genuinely put this rucksack on and went, oh, is this what like thinner people feel like when they wear a rucksack? I I didn't know a rucksack could fit like this. Because I've never had one. Um, yeah. And what about <laughs> sleeping bags as well? What would a um, plus size sleeping bag look like? How would that be improved? I mean, being able to do up would be a positive yeah. step. Like a lot of sleeping bags um, either don't do up or they do up and then they're just pulled tight. And, you know, if you're thinking about okay. a down sleeping bag, you don't want it to be super tight around you. Um, like you can't turn over inside the sleeping bag. You turn over, the bag turns with you. Then you get into weird hood issues, um, and that's actually a real access point. Like if you can't get a lightweight sleeping bag, you can't wild camp. Mm. Like yeah, that thing is just that yeah. whole activity isn't an option. So mm. it's not just about comfort. It's it's completely ruling out like a whole activity. So it's like we need wider fit sleeping bags, or we need like uh, baffle extensions that can be zipped in. Uh, to kind of give you a greater kind of a larger sleeping bag and I think I mean a lot of people so the outkit ones aren't you know as a size 20 I can fit into them but you know they were trialing an extension and I got in and I was like oh again I had that moment of like yeah. this is what it could be like this mm. is what it should be like actually mm. and so you had that early success with having a brand who jumped on board straight away which is amazing mm. i'm interested in how then everybody outdoors was perceived within the with plus size women in general so you had a thousand people yeah follow you in the first sort of say 24 hours yeah i think it? so yeah I'm, I'm i'm guessing that a, a good portion of those were obviously women who had struggled to find outdoor kits before um but also, I'm guessing there was a significant amount of people who followed because they were just interested mm-hmm. and, you know, and going, well, this is cool. This is unique. Even if it doesn't affect me, you know, I want to follow to because I think I was one of those people as well, because I'd already followed Rebecca. So I thought, oh, what's she doing? What she's up to? So I followed. How, how did you did you find that there was suddenly a gathering of women who wanted this kit? Did you see that community just blossom from a, a small nucleus of you to a number of women? Yeah. At that point totally there was so we got so many messages of people being like oh my god finally like I found my community yeah. I found my people like this is what I've been waiting for mm. um and you know like our Facebook group is just for plus size people and we now have 800 people in it oh wow and it's yeah. like the community that's come together is is so inspiring and really amazing mm. and I, it's just become this really beautiful place and so I guess like seeing the impact that that's had on people, like we get comments all the time saying, I didn't realise that my body could do these things. Like I saw, you know, I've just been for a hike because I've seen people doing it. I've just been hiking, like climbing for the first time because I've seen people on your page doing it and it inspired me. And like just seeing these people kind of the impact that that representation has. People feel, saying they yeah. feel more confident about posting pictures of themselves doing these things like for me it's had a I, like 
I don't think I expected it to have such a big impact on me because I was like, oh, I'm a reasonably confident hiker. And it's like, I've been paddleboarding. I've got more into cycling. I do a lot more swimming. And I think it's, I'm just so much more comfortable taking up that space, I guess, because I feel like I'm part of a community. And Mm. um, just seeing, seeing that build has been really amazing and inspiring. Do you feel that having this community is allowing yourself and others to step out, also step outside of that community and feel more comfortable within the outdoors as a whole? Or do you feel, at least for now, like it's a, a stepping stone to feeling okay with just, you know, being outdoors and not being judged? Does that think, make sense, what I'm asking? I think it's probably different for different people. I think for some of us, it, you know, like I'm, I think it's given me a lot of confidence to be more vocal about yeah. the challenges that plus size people face and to ask for the things that we want and, you know, really exp- share, share what it's actually like and try and try and to kind of educate people and talk to people about it. I think for some sure. people, it's giving them more confidence to kind of, yeah, to go out for a walk, to go out for a bike ride. And I think there's still a real barrier for a lot of people in getting into things. Um, you know, so say, I, I mean, climbing's a bit of a, one, like one I struggle with, like, how do I get into climbing? Like I, hmm. the friends I have who climb are like climbers. Like they are cra- yes. crazy good climbers. I, hmm don't feel like I can just go and join a normal climbing group because the last time I went to a bouldering centre, nobody looked like me. Um, (coughs) And so I think it's just, it's difficult to find those access points. And Mm. I see it a lot, like, you know, I've been running courses this year, like plus size mountain skills courses. And a lot of those people are people who just want to get into walking, but don't have a route in. They don't feel like they can just go and join their local like ramblers or walking groups because they're likely to be the only plus size person. They're worried about being slow. They probably don't have the right clothing. Um, and there's no route in for people. Yeah. So I guess then everybody outdoors is for a lot of people that route in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, from from an outside perspective, and as somebody who is fortunate enough to be white, male and medium access to the outdoors is has been incredibly easy for me um so i'm guessing that as everybody outdoors expands and gets bigger and more women sort of join and become a part of it and grow in confidence they can hope that that there's going to be a normalization of people of different body shapes and sizes experiencing the outdoors in much as the same way that there's a growing movement of people of different color and ethnicity experiencing Mm -hmm. outdoors because although they're separate issues i see them as that inclusivity within the outdoors which is just not there there's a lot of people who look like me um outside which is actually really boring (laughs) in my mind um my my partner's brown and i don't see many brown people going outside Um, when she's with me she's usually the only one um so it's great to see people of just all different people who just look just not like me outside it's really nice and i know not everybody shares i'm not saying my my attitude is perfect because i definitely have um unconscious biases within me um which some i'm probably unaware of and some i'm aware of too but have you had any sort of friction and difficult experiences from i guess the gatekeepers of the outside to this point especially since you know creating i'd say more of an organized push to get this issue heard i mean I guess as as an individual level, I get judged a lot mm. on my ability. People yeah. look at me and make assumptions. So the amount of times I've yeah. been at the start of a walk and somebody looks at me, asks where I'm going, and then looks surprised. Mm. Or people, um, you know, those kind of microaggressions. A lot of comments of like, oh, good on you. 
well yeah. done you mm-hmm. those kind of things it's like i'm just going for a walk sarcastic and yeah, yeah it just <laughs> yeah um and i think you know a lot of that comes down to a lack of representation and you know like you were talking about mm. the kind of wider move for inclusion and but the, that representation is so important because how yeah. how brands and media represent the outdoors has an impact on how people mm. think about it you know the reason people think that plus size people can't do these things is because they never see plus size representation ever like i've never seen a brand use a plus size person on their social media like ever yeah like a major outdoors brand not not even at this point you've no. not seen it okay it's it's pretty shocking and um that that has a trickle down effect and i think mm. um it's interesting because i think people think about inclusion and think about people of color and uh, lgbtqia plus inclusivity which is so important but it's like the problem is we're also asking brands to like change their entire model. Um, I mean, I think we've had conversations with some people within the industry who kind of try and who want to play the health card a little bit. Who um, don't? What do you mean by the health card? Uh, they they basically, you know, if you're encouraging people out to go outdoors, you're encouraging them to lose weight. You know, like okay. who the two things are so intrinsically yeah. linked, mm-hmm. and that therefore plus size people are lazy yeah. is kind of where the starting point yeah. they're coming from. There seems to be an assumption there yeah. isn't a market for this stuff. Um, that plus size mm-hmm. people can't possibly want to climb the same mountains uh, that skinny men can want to climb, um, and therefore mm-hmm. we don't. We just don't need the same kit, you know, because we're not as mm-hmm. hardcore or you know wanting to do the same things. But of course, when you were hiking through Norway, going back there, yeah. you could have probably done with the right kit. <laughs> really could have done and... with the right kit. And, yeah. you know, it's like I did a mountain skills course like last month and people are wearing rucksacks that don't mm. do up and people are wearing like fashion waterproofs. And that's because that's all they can mm. get. And... Um, yeah. It's it's just it's not just all the people who are currently doing this stuff and struggling because they don't have the kit. It's the people who don't do it because they can't get the kit. The person who wanted to go for the walk and walked into Cotswold Outdoors didn't even see a coat coat close to their size and walked out again and never went for the walk. Or the person who wanted to go kayaking yeah. but the place didn't have a wetsuit that fitted them. You know, all of these. Barriers. I can imagine that's a very um, what's the word? I can't think of the word. Um, I can imagine that experience of going into a retailer or going somewhere where they're, you know, say trying on want, wanting to, to borrow a wetsuit at a, at a surf school or, or anything of that nature is a very degrading experience yeah. where you go in thinking, right, I'm going to go buy a piece of kit. I'm going to try some clothing on. And then suddenly realizing there's absolutely nothing for you. That must be that must really shut a lot of women down it's, from wanting to try it and just push any further with that experience it, in the first place. It's generally quite traumatising. Like so it was yeah. last autumn I had an anxiety attack in a shop in Ambleside hmm. because I went in okay. to a three-store so shop, yeah. a three-storey shop, and I couldn't find a single thing in a size 20. And I was just walking around okay. trying to find one thing so I didn't look ridiculous being in that shop. <coughs> sorry i'm aware of the shop because i only know there's one three stars <laughs> there's two um <laughs> so that's, one or two that's shops, a normal anyway. experience yeah. or you go in and they yeah. tell you to go and shop in the men's section or people <laughs> look at you in a certain way and i think you know people hold that and you know on the courses that i've been running having a group of people around sharing their experiences it's like there's quite a lot of tears because people do hold a lot of yeah, a lot of trauma about feeling unwelcome and mm. not feeling accepted. Mm. People who've been on courses where other people on the courses have made them feel really unwelcome because they were slow and they were like huffing and sighing because they had to wait for people. And it's just like, that's, you know, that's enough to put so many people off. Oh, yeah. Uh, enough to put somebody off so they would probably, you know, potentially never come back to it again and give it a second chance and a lot of people feel really anxious coming on the courses that i'm running because of 
previous mm-hmm. negative experiences, even though mm-hmm. it's a safe space and it is just plus size people and a leader who works primarily with underrepresented groups that has a really good understanding of the issues. Okay, I want to get to the the groups you're running shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, before I do, um, I want to ask you about the progress that everybody outdoors is making. Mm-hmm. So aside from having some success with Alpkit and them pushing their range up to size 20 and then things like Gregory Packs, um, you know, Gregory producing a plus size range, what are the areas and positive kind of conversations have you been having with brands? Where are you seeing progress being made? So I'd say in quite a few brands, there's been very, there's, you know, we're at the point where there's, they're not particularly interested in working with us. They're kind of doing their own thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, which is a very slow, gradual yeah. change and acceptance that maybe they should make a few items in a size 20. Um, there's been some some good positives, though. We've had a couple of good conversations with Cotswold Outdoors, um, which has been a real, like, positive for me, because for me, they are one of those entry-level places people go in. They're on the high street. If you're going to go and look for something, you're yeah. going to go there. And they are already doing some really positive things. Um, hmm. But I think, you know, we've been able to share our experiences with them in quite an honest way because they should be doing better. Um, hmm. You know, I don't didn't ever go to Cotswold Outdoors because they didn't do anything in my size. They would have maybe Crackhoppers and Berghouse, which fit very small in their plus sizes. So I just, there's nothing for me in there. And, um, you know, the website doesn't have anything on it. And actually... You know, they're on a journey and they're a bigger company. It takes time. But I also, they really listened. And so I hope that's Mm. something that can kind of go a bit further. Um, I think the biggest win that we've had is there's an American brand called Outdoor Research who do uh, an amazing plus size range that they co-designed with plus size people in the States. And it goes up to about a UK Mm. 32. Um, Oh, wow. So there's nothing like mm. it available here. It's technical gear, it's Gore-Tex mm. jackets. Mm. Um, yeah. So in that size in the UK, your only other option is Mountain Warehouse. <coughs> <coughs> oh, sorry about all the coughing. Um, no worries. <laughs> um, and their sales agents got in touch with them in the UK, the sales agents for the UK, to say that this stuff's available, but nobody wants to stock it. Mm. And so we did it. So the, re- so the retail... The retailers won't yeah. buying into the that that size range. Yeah, and um, the same with the plus size Gregory packs actually as well. Um, and now actually, they are now stocked in a couple of places. I think partially because we were kind of involved in doing some promo and pushing that out there, and that's really amazing. That's ta- really really beautiful, tangible thing that people can now buy coats that they couldn't do if we hadn't hmm. been here. So this sort of plays to the chicken and egg analogy so if you're not buying if 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 historically plus size individuals have not been able to purchase the outdoor kit they want then that market kind of switches off because you you know people start either not engaging with outdoor activities or not bothering to look at the retailers at all yeah um but then it takes one brand, I guess, or a handful of brands to start to share that there is a market, there is kit. But it also is, it's one of those things that's going to take. But I think brands want that, that, that kind of quite quick justification for a line being produced, yeah. which is, I guess, sympathetic there, the challenge they have. But if they don't get that, then that line closes down and is seen as a failure. Yeah. Whereas from your point of view, it's going to take time for women to go, oh, well, I want to get into the outdoors. Oh, and there is some kit available um, and I can get it. And then they'll tell their friends that that's available. More and more people buy it. And over a couple of years, it might be a slow burner, but that kit will get bought and yeah. sold. I mean, one of the things... And it's trying to get that across to brands is the challenge, I guess. One of the key things we're saying to brands is you can't just advertise this to your existing audience. Like, yeah. I don't follow brands on social media who don't do my size I don't get their newsletters so if mm. you know mountain equipment for example have started doing a small number of site things in a size 20 
how am I supposed to know about that? Am I supposed to keep checking the mountain equipment yeah. website to see if they've deigned to make clothes of my size? Like, mm. especially if you can't sort your website by size, because how am I supposed to click through every single item to try and find the things that are available in my size? You know, you have people have to be thinking outside of that, their existing audience, and how are they going to reach people and thinking more creatively about that. And I think, you know, that's something we can help with because we do have that audience now. And that's one of the things we are trying to do is share the stuff that is available, the stuff that is coming. You know, like I did, I made a, a table the other day of what's available in a 20, 22, 24 and 26 plus. Um, and actually this year that's changed hugely. Like it's so much better than it was even a year ago. I mean, it's not where it needs to be, but it is progress. Um but the only reason I know about that is because I'm actively like looking all the time. So I'm like the encyclopedia of what is available <laughs> in different sizes and how yeah. it fits. Um, and I think, yeah, just trying to, you, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. And also if you, don't, if you make stuff and don't consider how it's going to fit plus size bodies, hmm. you know, it is going to fail. You know, I'm still waiting for somebody to yeah. really make a properly like curvy jacket with significantly larger hips than mm. anything else because nobody's, you yeah. know, yet doing that. Was the out outdoor research was has that outdoor research one been close to it? I think so. I think it's a pretty good fit. Um I've not tried it yeah. on yet. I'm hopefully gonna get um okay. I'm seeing Rebecca in a few weeks and she's stocking them at Vampire Outdoors yeah. and so I'm excited to get to uh try them on when we're all meeting at Kendall Mountain Festival. Um nice. But yeah, I think I think they're a, a fairly good fit. Um so we we shall see. Um I had another point on that and I think it's gone. Okay. If you think about it, we can chuck it in after. I can, I can edit, edit it in yeah. the right place. That's fine. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, the beauty Edit out all the coughs and um, edit all the stuff into the right yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It's, it's all good. Um, it's, it's pretty helpful not doing this live. Um, mostly for my ums and ers and all of that. And um, so, right. So, skills, outdoor skills. Um, oh, I was going to ask you. Um, so you're going to Kendall. Are you having a standard candle? Uh, no, we're doing, talk, we're doing a talk. We're doing a talk in the base camp um, on the Friday. Oh, that's that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, so that's really exciting. Oh wow! So, okay, um, that's super exciting. Is the first time you've done a talk at Kendall? It, it's the first time we've all met <laughs> in a group oh, in really? person. Oh wow! Oh, that's even um, yeah. And yeah, the first time any of us have been to Kendall, first time like doing a talk there or anything. So um, that's really exciting. Um, that's just really exciting. So. Um, yeah, are you the one doing the talk then? Uh, it's a whole, it's a panel of us, so we're all we're all kind of oh, is it? talking and try and talk and share yeah. share experiences and stories. Um, kind of try and keep it, uh, yeah. I guess, positive. Um, whilst of also course. positive yeah. but honest about you know the, the mm. struggles. I think that's really significant that you're doing that because there's going to be a lot of. At Kendall, I know there's a lot of change makers from a lot of brands, people who have the ability to influence things. So hopefully that gets some exposure and creates some helpful conversations afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I'm hopeful for you that's that turns out to be a really positive experience. I'd love to know how it goes. Yeah. So in addition to all of the work you've done, I think what strikes me as probably the most important thing that you're doing is the outdoor skills yeah. courses. Now, explain to me kind of where that idea came from and kind of how you're working it and putting it in place what 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 is it exactly so uh it came from me wanting to do a navigation course a few years ago like i feel like i have mm. a lot of hiking experience but i get nervous in the mountains because that's not what i'm used to yeah. and i was lacking confidence and um yeah i kind of wanted to go on a course but was feeling quite anxious about it and so my friend put mm. me in touch with um, a woman called Kat who runs an organisation called Latitude 534 and she does a lot of work with underrepresented groups um, and I started chatting to her and I think we just kind of quickly realised that this is something far beyond just what something I wanted to do it was like actually there was a really de a big demand as I guess I started to meet more and more plus size people in the UK it was like people were like oh no that sounds great I'd like to do that um mm -hmm. And so we decided to do, so this spring in March, we did two kind of intro to mountain skills courses, 
one in Snowdonia, one in the lakes. And they were just amazing. Like there was a really positive response. It was only we'd only just launched everybody outdoors at that point. Um and yeah, there was a real demand for it and it was just a really beautiful experience taking a bunch mm. of people out and seeing their confidence grow and seeing that safe space and what that meant for people. Um Can you share any stories of women who whose confidence grew in that setting from perhaps where they were to, at the beginning of the course to where they were afterwards? Well, there were people who'd never really done much walking before because they, mm. um, there's one person in particular who'd never really done much walking. Um, and, you know, when you see somebody discover that thing, it was like watching, there was yeah. <laughs> the Sunday, the weather was terrible. Like, it was 40 mile an hour winds in Snowdonia. We couldn't go up particularly high. It was like rain coming from the side and she just had the most enormous grin on her face and she was like this is better than yesterday when the weather had been lovely and it was just like oh you've discovered type two fun and like you found yeah. you, you know you found your thing and that was just amazing yeah. and on this on the second course in um the lake somebody said like we i can't remember the name of the hill we went up but they were like i'm so glad you didn't patronize us with a tiny hill like we went up a proper hill to do the course um and it was just like yeah no we can do that like we took you know 10 plus size people up a significantly sized fell in the lakes it was amazing um that's a really (coughs) interesting comment to make though you know i'm glad you didn't patronize us with a with a small hill um and i think that speaks volumes about this assumption that's so easy to make that if you're plus size then you know exercise and getting out and doing things isn't for you and that's just not the case is it it's it's that you know people of all shapes and sizes can do the same things everybody else can do like you know let's take rebecca for instance absolutely crushing the ultras oh my god crushing the ultras she's yeah she's she's a machine um and you know She's done, I don't know, I think she's, I can't remember how many she said she's done, but it was way more than me and way, way more than I'd care to do. Um, and, you know, I, I, I looked at the photo because we did the, the last Ultra um, Robust Tours one together. And at the end of that, I was destroyed. Like I could barely pull a smile. And then I saw this picture of her on Instagram, like thumbs up. <laughs> I mean, had the greatest time looking completely like, okay, I'm sure she probably was not feeling that and she'll, she'd laugh at what, when she listens to this. Um, and I was just like, oh, that's that's crazy. Like she's absolutely, you know, she, she's not the, and I know she won't mind me saying this, she's not like the ultra yeah. shape, you know, like, you know, stick and, you know, like super thin and wiry and, you know, lean muscles. And actually a lot of people who there were there were not, which was awesome. Um but it doesn't matter. Like she can still do it because that challenges that pr- assumption that you have to look a certain way to engage in the outdoors and you just don't. And I think, so like, I'm not particularly quick up steep hills. Like I'm fine on yeah. a gentle hill, up steep hills. Like gravity's a thing. But the assumption is quick. Yeah. That's the assumption. You have to be quick. <laughs> and I, I posted, and, and it's so wrong. I posted a social media post the other day that was basically like being slow up a hill isn't a problem if you don't measure... Mm-hmm success as being fast and I, I think it's the, yeah. the highest in like engagement we've had for any social media post and the amount of people who were like oh <laughs> my god it's like as soon as you get away with fast is good fast is success fast yeah. is right and I remember like on the most recent course we've just done another course um in Snowdonia and you know Kat talks a lot about pace up hills and she's like there isn't a right or a wrong pace mm. there is just your pace mm. And it's just like, it doesn't matter if you're like, you know, doing tiny, tiny steps. That's fine. And like watching somebody's face, just like that click for them. It's like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's like giving somebody permission to be slow. Yeah. And then suddenly realizing that they can do it. It's like, I think for ages, I would try to walk quickly up hills and I would knacker myself out and now I know I call it the turtle trudge but I know that if I like slowly chip away I can I can walk all day you know if I walk at my pace I am fine I don't exhaust myself I don't burn out if I'm trying to keep up with somebody who's much faster than me that's really hard and I think a lot you know it's a lot of people have that really triggering experience of people just like bounding away from them and like them being left Mm. at the back and so on the courses my job is I backstop I am the last person Mm. up the hill 
that that's my mm-hmm. role um so that nobody yeah. feels like that and we stay as a group nobody goes ahead and my thing my philosophy is if you know I don't mind people going ahead of me up a hill I always talk to people I go walking with about how I feel about it and what's okay and what's not and it's like I don't mind if you go away ahead mm-hmm. of me up a hill but what I need is I need you to not go too far and to wait for me and then wait till I'm ready to move on but my partner for example yeah. just yeah. Really gently, without me even realizing he's done it, drops behind me and walks mm. at my pace. And it's like, I really appreciate that because we're going on a walk together. Mm. Um, and therefore, I like to walk with him, <laughs> you know, not persistently. It's when people walk consistently 10 meters ahead of you the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And then stop at the top of the hill. They have a little break. And then by the time you catch up with them, they carry on walking yeah, again. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that happen before, uh, and I've been guilty of doing that before as well. It's um, it, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, amazing. So um, the hill skills courses um, are they? You're you're obviously a, are you leading them or have you got sort of a, a mountain so leader? So Kat's a mountain leader. So she's kind of doing that. Oh, she's she, the doing the training yeah. part. I'm. I guess I'm holding the space yeah. and I'm bringing sure. the kit knowledge and. I guess sharing my experiences of things so it's it's kind of a collaborative thing um so we're actually doing the next one we're doing is an advanced nav because a lot of people who've been on the intro one kind of want to dig in a bit deeper or people I mean it's partly for me the advanced nav like I said to Kat I want to do the advanced nav because actually I've you know the intro stuff I'm quite comfortable with but I would like to know like more 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 geeky navigation please um Hmm. But like we've got huge, you know, we've got a load of people who are on the waiting list for hearing, you know, if we do more courses next year, which I really hope we will do. Um, but it's it's trying to find a way to make them accessible. Like we've been really lucky; we've got some funding this year from the Upkit Foundation and from the YHA because, Amazing. you know, most people, if you're, you know, if I lived in Bristol and I wanted to do a navigation course, I go to the Brecon Beacons. But these are the only courses yeah. for specifically for plus size people, so people are travelling like a long way. Mm to come to them mm. and that comes at higher cost and like we really want this training to be available to everybody regardless of you mm. know your financial position and that funding's meant that we've been able to offer like bursary places and free accommodation to people um which has really opened it up and um, something I kind of really want to find more funding to be able to do yeah do you see that funding coming in for next year then yeah i think i think yeah both of those relationships are with the funders, I, I think I hope are things that we can continue to do um, because I think, mm. yeah, I think both the YHA and Alpcat understand why these things are necessary and are kind of keen to support them mm. happening. Um, and I mean, the I would say events is also something that everybody outdoors does want to do more of. Like we want to find a way to kind of have more local regional meetups so even if it's not courses if it's just going for a walk we can find a way to kind of do that because I think the community is the thing that we didn't expect when we set it up I think we set it up with a we want better clothing and better representation and then the community came and we were like oh this is amazing ah Mm. like we're just five people doing this in our spare time oh god how do we like how on earth do we manage this so I think it's it's Mm. looking at how we grow what we're doing next year and how we find some funding to bring in some resource to be able to actually do that mm-hmm. amazing it sounds really exciting and i really want to ask you about all the climbing stuff as well because uh you were talking about climbing and i'm assuming that's fallen into there somewhere but this is a podcast about long distance hiking, <laughs> so i will not go there and i'll ask you afterwards <laughs> um but um so of course there are going to be people listening to this podcast i don't doubt who may for the first time have gone oh, there is a community for me. Um, if that person has listened to this podcast, where can they find you? Um, and how's the best way to get involved? Uh, so we are on Instagram at, uh, at every underscore body underscore outdoors. Um, if you are plus size, we have a Facebook page, which is linked to from our Instagram profile, but also we have a website, which is everybodyoutdoors.co.uk. Um, or you can probably just search on Facebook and find us. Uh, that's the best way to find us. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thank you uh, for joining me today. It's been really nice to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, see you soon. Bye. Bye.
Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I really do. It's great to have Steph on the show. So thank you again, Steph, for being such a fantastic guest. So that concludes this week's episode. Another week done, another fortnight done. Episode 30 is out the way. It's crazy to me that I've done 30 episodes of the show and that I have so many of you who are listening at the start still listening to me now. So I'm doing something right. On that, I'd love some feedback on the podcast for next year. If you go to my Instagram page, click on the bio, there's a link tree section. And there is a form there that where you can put some feedback on the podcast. I'm really keen to have a little change of direction next year. Details to be confirmed. It is still going to be a long distance hiking podcast, but I want to talk about stuff in addition to long distance hiking related to the outdoors. I want to broaden the scope of conversation slightly, and I'd love to know your feedback um, on this and kind of what you enjoy and don't enjoy about the current show. So go to Instagram, click on the link, and you'll see the form available on the bio. So... That concludes the week. I hope you have a fantastic week, whatever you're doing. Um, from this episode to the next one, it's actually going to take us up to Christmas um, Day. Yeah, Christmas Day. That's mad on a Sunday. So by the time the next one comes out, it will be Christmas Day. It will be a Christmas podcast. I probably need to do something special for a Christmas podcast and put some jingly kind of bells in this or something. I'll, I'll think of something to do. But anyway, that's it for now. I will see you soon. Enjoy your Christmas celebrations and festivities and I will catch up with you again on the 25th.